yet uh, due to right now, and I'll speak to our, over a coffee afterwards as well. We had a, an amazing, genuinely amazing time, a holiday with the family. It was incredibly refreshing. I am full of zeal. I hope you're ready to run because I am. I've got reserves now, and we can go together. And the, the kingdom of God is the most exciting thing on the planet. Just basically. God's plans and purposes for your life at times they stretch out more than we would like them to. At times we say to God, okay, God, that's enough. And then he gives us a little break and then he comes back and says, okay, now I want you to take the next step. And it might be where you're at work, it might be your relationships, your marriages, whatever it is, God is always taking it forward and making it more like the Son, Jesus Christ. You're never going to say, oh, well, I don't really care about this one. You can just be like that. He's always chasing us and making got the privilege today of preaching, and we also, let me mention this, we also went to Common Ground Church the last week of our time in South Africa, and uh, a couple of things which have really helped for us to sit with these guys that are doing an amazing work there in a city that's got nine locations of 15 congregations, and so they're having this amazing impact. 19 years ago, they were a church of less than 100 people, and God spoke prophetically over them that he would use them to influence and bless the exactly that. And I want to remind you of a prophetic word that is your life and over a prophetic word over our church as well of what God wants to do for us. And there's times, honestly, last chat where I thought about this multiplying into congregations that we've done. I thought, oh God, this is so hard. Can't we just come back together as one church again? And I'm reminded by the prophetic words that God has spoken that it's not about the now. It's not about being easy. It's about uh, following Him and seeing that He has for us. Amen? Something so young children that the world just explodes. 
And they forever remember that moment as they, they sat with Uncle Chris as he shared over dinner about what God has been doing. And it, and it changed their lives, the course of their lives forever. I believe apostolic moments can be like that. To me, in Acts 20, God calls them keeping elders council. Acts 4 calls them keeping elders together. And He speaks to them. And that's not a transformation for that church there. And I believe God wants to do something unique for that church. Please grab the fire. I don't care how. I know this is going to be important for her or for him, but it doesn't really matter if I'm there. Can I encourage you to be a part of this? Okay. So we're going to be doing this four-part series with this Dr. Chris in two weeks' time. He'll be with us for a week with a team that are coming with him. We've got, um, I think it's two couples that are coming with him that are uh, worshippers as well. They're going to come lead worship for us. They're going to do a worship evening on a Friday night and a workshop with us on a Saturday afternoon. So we really trust then that what God's beginning to do in our worship is just accelerating. The four-part series is, we're coming to the next week, is we are, we are sons, we are worshipers, we are servants, and we are messengers. And what an important way to start our year. When I go back to South Africa and I tell the guys our year is just beginning, they go, what are you talking about? Your year is just about to come to an end. It's November and December we know with the summer behind us now, that the September is the beginning of something new for us. And so I hope you are expecting that establishing this foundation of identity is profoundly important before we get into the activities. We, we need to know who we are before we get into what we do. So I'm going to start by reading from Matthew 2, uh, verse 16 through to chapter 4, verse 3. You know the story when Jesus was baptized. It says that when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went out from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves. Identity. 
And so God wanted to make sure that that was established and settled in him before anything else came along. And if Jesus, who was perfect in all his ways, needed that affirmation of his life, then friends, how much more do we need? I consider myself a relatively confident person. I'm, I'm self-assured. But guess what? But I need this affirmation from God continually to shape me that I am a son of God. Otherwise, what happens is I become too conformed like the sun instead of just living like the sun. And some of you ladies might be saying, well, Robbie, you're preaching only to the guys here because I'm a son. The wonderful thing about this word, and because it's not my word, God calls us the sons of God. When he speaks to the whole church, he speaks about us being the sons of God. And it's culture, there are some cultures where the son is considered to be of a higher value to the daughter. The son, the firstborn son, is a seed of inheritance. Consequently, consequence, if you were born to that, you had a brother after you, it's your it's the brother that is just inherited. And in calling us as men and women to, to God, we are together called to receive and inherit that status as the firstborn in the family of God. And so it's an affirming, uplifting thing. And it's not a gender-related thing in the same way that me being the bride of Christ doesn't apply, but it's much important. I hope you understand that. And so God wants to speak this word over us. He wants to silence the voices, the voices that would come to Jesus and uh, just pass the scripture, telling him that you're an illegitimate child. Is it false? Yes, there is. The presence and leaders were speaking, telling him that those religious leaders, those men of standing that were supposed to represent God, were saying, actually, you just worship the Satan. That's why you've got this child. And he would silence even the inner voices that Satan would sow into his life. They would say, are you really the son of God? If you are the son of God. And so this message of identity and sonship is, friends, profoundly important. And I'm going to show you a, a video in a second. And I want you to watch it. And then I'm going to speak to you. And I want you to please today open your heart. You might say, well, Rob, I'm, I'm absolutely confident in my sonship. And I, I really pray that that's true. But if there's any error in your life, I want you to just open up and let the Lord speak to you today. Let's play the video for you.
look at some of the voices that speak into our lives. So maybe you identify with some of these, maybe some of them you won't. But if you recognize this, then even as I'm speaking today, you can do business with God because God's actually moved on a way that's not done. The first is what our past says we are. In Judges chapter 11, verses 1 to 3, we come across a, a man by the name of Jephthah. He's one of the judges of Israel. It says that, Now Jephthah the Gideonite was a mighty warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute. Gilead was the father of Jephthah. Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. The Gorosis that was collected around Jephthah, he went down to
see if you give somebody the power to legitimize you, you also give them the power to legitimize you. And uh, that's what happens in relationships, is that sometimes we open ourselves up in the most vulnerable possible way to this other person, to our spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend. We completely open them. And so when they then reject us, it's not just the pain of the relationship that God does. It's that the agony of a shattered identity that leads to this discomfort because we've allowed this person to sacrifice their identity. I was speaking to a lady yesterday who was saying to me that in her marriage discomfort with her husband, she says, I don't make him happy anymore. And I said to her, you're not supposed to make him happy. It's not your job to make him happy. She was finding this sense of worth and self and satisfaction in his wife. She said, finding this identity and his worth vertically in his job. And that is who we say we are. So when we think a million thoughts a day, I don't know what the number is, 35,000 thoughts a minute or something crazy like that, many of them unconscious. So we think thoughts about ourselves all the time. Maybe we're driving and suddenly somebody pulls in front of you and maybe your husband and you go, man, I'm pretty good, I'm a pretty good driver. You know, I'm, I'm impressive or whatever. I'm a, I could be flexible. I could be spiderweb. Maybe I am. I'm interested. Turn on the yard. It's like a force ball. We can, it's all, you, you do something stupid. You walk into the house and uh, the kids come in and you, maybe you, you say something you shouldn't say and then you're upset and you go, oh, I'm so stupid. I'm really stupid. I'm so stupid. I'm going to laugh at that. Right? Whatever it is, we, we speak. We actually speak these thoughts to ourselves. And most of the time we can navigate through what's true and what's not true. And we wake up and go, oh, no, that's not true. I actually, I do love my kids. I actually long for them. But there's things that come that reinforce and support this self-slaughter that we sometimes feel of ourselves. So we speak these words, and then suddenly these things come along, and they, they hammer it in, and so it becomes a part. We, we begin to lose the integrity of ourselves. Just like with the decision to make ourselves. If we finally embrace our own worth, and suddenly we sense that that's something we begin to notice our That in this life is going to happen. And uh, actually, it's a story about like a, I don't know if it's a guy or a girl, but it's a story about honesty. And uh, it tells a story about their failure. And I want to read a little extract from it. It's, it's actually um, really quite uh, profound. They, they started a business. The business was initially a catering business, and then the business began to flounder. And they write this, and the person writes this A new email came, another polite decline. Prospective investor. I wiped the sweat from my face and filled it with tears. People don't become numb to the feelings of rejection. Here are the reasons we think this company isn't viable. Three pages later, I closed my computer and closed my eyes. Failure was a distinct temperature. The sweat from the back of your body wrapped around your legs again, filling them with blood and rising beneath the skin. Your chest feels like a flood and heat rises to your throat.
cause us to truly repent and wage war to be the people that God calls us to be. Words we know well. Obedience is what Christ wants. And His love for us is that love that drives us back to Him. And so we need to get to the place where we recognize that what God says overrules what our hearts say. There's a, the, the scripture called Jephthah, who was born of a prostitute. This is John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. It says, But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So God takes our hearts. He says, You're not determined by your bloodline. Who you are is not determined by your bloodline. It's not determined by the actions or the desires or the rejections of your parents. Who you are is defined by God Himself. And the truth is, we live in a fallen world. God's people. And sometimes people get that. And sometimes people fall pregnant when they're not planning to. And sometimes we live in nations where by the color of our skin we were rejected or by our, our education or lack of education, our economic status. And we see them spoken over us in a way that, that becomes defined. And we begin to operate from that perspective. I'll prove them wrong. I'll prove my dad wrong.